this movement is, is definitely, uh, it's a movement that is uh, a religious philosophy. It, it, it is driven by religion. It is driven by um, what I would consider a uh, legalistic version of Christianity um, with an overemphasis on Old Testament law uh, that is inappropriate, um, that you only get if you have an improper hermeneutic, I would say, or, or improper method of interpreting scripture. And so I would, I would say that, yes, absolutely. It is driven by that. Now I'm sure there are aspects of it, um, in other religions as well. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who aren't even religious in any way that practice this type of, uh, lifestyle. Um, it's primarily something that is driven even more than driven by Christianity because I don't want to give Christianity a bad name. I am a, a Christian, absolutely. Um, but it is something that is driven by the philosophy of patriarchy more than anything. I would encourage everyone to read as many books as you possibly can by a woman named Carolyn Custis James. Um, she is a scholar on the topic of patriarchy and uh, it's very eye-opening to see how that truly horrible movement, that horrible philosophy has been used uh, to keep women down, to uh, enslave women a lot of times. And so the stay-at-home daughterhood movement, while there's many different degrees of it, some are great, some are very abusive, some are really legalistic, some are more balanced, all the whole spectrum the philosophy, I would say, that, that drives it more than anything, more than even just Christianity or, or a, a legalistic form of Christianity, really is the, the philosophy of patriarchy. And that is a philosophy that you see in a multitude of world religions. You see it in the Middle East, um, in Islam. You see it in certain sects of Christianity. Um, so I would say more than even it just being a religious uh, philosophy uh, that's driving stay-at-home daughterhood, it would first and foremost be the philosophy of, of patriarchy. Another thing about the stay-at-home daughterhood movement was you uh, were not encouraged to date. Um, stay-at-home daughterhood and the courtship movement, I kiss dating goodbye, things of that nature, were all kind of uh, in it together in one package, if you will, a package deal. Um, I did not date um, at all. <laughs> I and, and part of that was a belief that I kind of still hold to that I, I didn't want to date around. I didn't want to, uh, you know, go too far, so to speak, with all these different men. You know, there, there was a part of that that I, I don't regret. Um, I did marry my first boyfriend. <laughs> um, and so for some people, that seems insane. Uh, it worked for us. Uh, we uh, got to know each other first as friends really well for several years. Uh, he was a buddy of mine. Um he spent a lot of time with my family. We did a lot of family outings together, not one-on-one -on -one dates uh, for a long time, but family outings, got to know each other. Um, and really looking back, I see that I, I didn't need to date him, first of all, to get to know him really well on a very deep level. And, and I probably got to know him deeper, quicker, um, because we saw each other in all different circumstances and we're not just strictly dating. But uh, he did become my first boyfriend, and we did get married uh, two years after we started dating, which that's very rare in the stay-at-home daughterhood movement. Usually, you have a very short courtship, uh, a very short engagement, and then you're married um, all in one fell swoop a lot of times. Um, 
And I wouldn't say I regret that. We saved our first kiss for our wedding day. That's very common in the, in the movement. Um, I wouldn't say I regret any of that. Uh, but I do believe there is a lot of legalism all throughout the movement, but also in this area. Uh, there's no hard and fast rule, biblically speaking, against kissing before you're married. I do think there are purity standards. I do think that uh, sex is a gift that God uh, reserves for marriage for us, you know, for it to be enjoyed in its its best possible way um, without baggage and, and pain and heartbreak. But uh, beyond that, I think there's a lot of extra biblical man-made teachings surrounding dating and relationships and things of that nature. It worked well for me. It worked out, but I feel like that's more of God's grace than it is, uh, the, you know, mindset or movement being biblical. (laughs) Um, so, but no, you're, you're definitely not, uh, encouraged to date in this movement. Now in the stay at home daughterhood movement, it is definitely not encouraged to, uh, pursue higher education in the form of a college. You are encouraged to um, do online classes if you'd like, Um, but even that varies from family to family. Some families believe in um, having their daughters receive higher education. Others do not. Um, And so some stay-at-home daughters are given the opportunity to um, seek an online degree, online classes, things of that nature. But generally speaking, by and large, in the stay-at-home daughterhood movement, you are absolutely not encouraged to go off and attend college. Um, Certainly not to go off and attend college in a separate city, separate state. But even if you wanted to attend college in your hometown, you most of the time were not encouraged to do so. These brick and mortar schools were seen as hubs of worldliness and false teachings and a, a false worldview. And so you were not encouraged to partake, if you will. Um, you were also not encouraged to pursue a career. Um, you were taught that Titus 2, um, when it talks about being a keeper at home so that the word of God be not blasphemed, you were taught that that meant that you can never do any work outside the home whatsoever. And so you were not encouraged to pursue a career. Um, I did not pursue one. I My story is that I, um, again, found out about stay-at-home daughterhood. That movement swallowed the teaching hook, line and sinker at the age of 14, um, remained at home with my family until I got married at the age of 21, Following my homeschool graduation, which that's another part of my story, stay-at-home daughterhood is very big in homeschool circles primarily. That's really the only place you find it. Um, following my homeschool graduation, I, again, remained at home, did not attend college. I sought to further my education through books. I love to read, and so that's that's how I did that. Um, and when it came to making money or having a job, I did not have a job outside the home. I thought that was sinful. And again, interestingly enough, for my own unique story, and this is very rare in the stay-at-home daughterhood movement, my family, my parents never said you can't have a job outside the home while living here. That's very rare in the movement, but I was blessed with with parents who did have more of a balanced perspective, Um, but I did not. And so I tried to figure out how could I make money? You know, I'm 18 years old now. I have graduated high school. I'm not married yet. So how can I make money 
while at the, at the same time upholding what I believed to be the biblical standard of not having a career outside the home, excuse me. And so what I ended up doing, pardon me, was I was a nanny. Um, five days a week, I would drive to this homeschool mom's house down the street, well, about five minutes, 10 minutes down the road, and nanny her children from about eight in the morning till about one in the afternoon, um, homeschool them, and then I would drive home in the afternoon and do whatever else. I, I had a business on Etsy um, making tea cozies, and so I would work on that in the afternoon, that sort of thing. And so that was how I made money. Um, I have always been entrepreneurial and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my family always encouraging me to be entrepreneurial. Um, but what I didn't understand at the time was that Titus 2, in modern times, what it means in this day and age, how we're able to apply it to our everyday lives right now, is that it's more about the heart. It is not saying that it's a sin to work outside the home. If that were the case, what's a single mom to do who literally has to work outside the home in order to provide food for her children? Or even not a single mom, but a, a married woman who just, they cannot operate on one income. What's she to do if she can't have a home business or work from home for whatever reason? Are we to say that God expects her family to starve? You know, there are a lot of questions that end up being raised when you start to realize Hmm, maybe there is not a one-size-fits-all command here, but it's more of a heart principle. And really, that's what the Greek word oikurgos, I'm sure I'm butchering that, but the Greek word behind the phrase homemaker or busy at home or keeper at home, depending on your translation, that word in Titus 2 in the Greek refers to being a guardian of the home, someone who protects it, who manages it, who guards it against attack, against um, whatever it might be, who really manages and takes care of the needs of the home. So really, it's all about prioritizing the work of the home, viewing it as important and worth your time, viewing it as something that is not mundane, but that is um, impactful for eternity, really. Um, that's what we're getting at in Titus 2. It's not a hard and fast, you cannot ever step foot outside your home to work. If that were the case, we would have to discredit the Proverbs 31 woman and deny her the label of being a biblical or godly woman because we know that she worked outside the home from time to time. She made sashes in her home. She supplied them to the merchant. She was involved in real estate, all of those things. And so she was known in the community. She was known in the marketplace. The same goes for women like Lydia and Dorcas and so on and so forth. Priscilla, a tent maker. Um, so many women in the New Testament who, so it's not just Old Testament with Proverbs, but in the New Testament as well, women who really worked and, and sought to be uh, entrepreneurial and sought to um, provide for their families in financial ways. And really, that's why it's so important to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture to look at the, the the full picture of the Word of God and say, okay, I'm not going to cherry pick this verse or this passage out of it, but I'm going to see how does the what does the full counsel of God look like? What does it say? How can I allow this passage to interpret this passage and so on and so forth? How can I bring in cross references? How can I allow the truth of God's Word to uphold itself um, when it comes to my hermeneutic, my method of interpreting Scripture, my 
uh, you know, finding a foundation for my beliefs and forming my beliefs. Um, and that, that's crucial because if you don't do that, then you end up with movements uh, like the stay-at-home daughterhood movement that, while this is not the case for all uh, families in the movement at all, um, it is a movement that has uh, resulted in a lot of harm a lot of times. Now, there's nothing at all wrong with choosing to live at home until you're married, if that's what you want to do. Again, I, I did that. I lived at home um, until I got married at 21. Um, and I don't regret that. I, I really don't. Um, I don't regret the time I spent nannying. It did serve me well as a mom today. Um, I don't regret having the home business on Etsy. It has made me, it has established truly a business that I'm able to still continue today. Some 12, I guess, 13 years later. And so I don't regret any of that, but the movement uh, does carry with it all too often a very dangerous uh, set of teachings that can oftentimes be very harmful. You know, when I think about stay-at-home daughterhood, um, what it is, how it came about, the impact it had on my life, what it looked like for me, I'm kind of transported back to when I was 14 years old. Because even though I was raised in a Christian home and was in church every Sunday, my birth was announced actually um, from the pulpit the Sunday evening I was born. Um, my birth was announced by the pastor. My grandfather at the time um, did the mute, the uh, sound um, at the church. And in spite of that, in spite of being in youth group and children's choir and mission trips and Bible drill and all of those things, it wasn't until I was 14 years old that I really developed a very strong love for the Word of God, a very strong desire to study it for myself, to uh, really understand what it had to say. The problem with that was the resources that led to that desire. So when I was 14, we, my family and I, my parents and I, my younger brother, we became introduced to a Christian ministry. Um, it is now no longer in existence. It disbanded in 2013, but it was entitled Vision Forum. And there was a book that um, was sold by them, published by them and sold by them that sought to explain what biblical daughterhood looked like. Now, again, I was 14 years old, and so you can imagine someone who, um, a believer since I was seven, raised in a Christian home, all of those things, I had never read before a book that specifically centered on what biblical daughterhood was and what that looked like. I'd read books on biblical um, womanhood in general, even at the age of 14. You know, I had started to read some books on marriage and all these different things, but not biblical daughterhood. And so as I began to read this book, it was a book that was very um, centered on the, the evils of feminism, the evils of that whole entire movement, not even just secular feminism, not even just um, third wave feminism, but feminism as a whole. I began to read these things that I'd never heard before. I began to learn things I never knew. And I became introduced to a passage of scripture that... You would have thought, giving my background in the church that I would have come across before, that I would have remembered uh, reading before, but I had it. And that passage was Titus 2, 3 through 5, a passage that talks about women loving their husbands and children, being submissive to their husbands. But the part that really stood out to me that I never realized was even in the Word of God was the part about being keepers at home 
that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, in this book, in the way in which the writers uh, explained that passage, if you will, the teaching was that, okay, a woman's highest calling is to be a wife, a mother, a homemaker. And so if that's the case, which I would say that's not biblical, I would say that a woman's highest calling is the same as that of a man, to be an image bearer of God, an ambassador of Christ, fulfilling the Great Commission. But I digress. The teaching of the book was, if it's highest calling for women to be wives, mothers, and keepers at home, then transfer back up a little bit and consider, okay, if that is to be what I aspire to and what I seek to do with my life, then how can I prepare for that now? It's a wise thought in and of itself. You know, we we go to school, we go to college, we go to tech schools, we do um, apprenticeships and things like that to prepare for what we want to do in life, right? But what happened here was that there was a false premise that the highest calling for all women, no matter what, was to be a wife, mother, and homemaker. So then it became a logical conclusion to the authors of the book that therefore, if you were to be a stay-at-home wife and mother and you're to prepare for that high calling, then you should probably be a stay-at-home daughter. And so basically what the movement was, what stay-at-home daughterhood is, is the belief that a, a daughter is to remain at home under the authority and protection of her father until the day in which he gives her in marriage and she becomes then placed under the authority and protection of her husband. That was what was taught in this book. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm dealing with allergies. And the interesting thing is that while I swallowed that teaching hook, line, and sinker because I thought it was biblical and I thirsted for the word of God, my parents remained far more balanced than I did. And so while I went through what I referred to on my podcast and in my books I've written as a years-long season of legalism, that was largely self-inflicted. It was not something that was thrown at me by my parents. Now, my parents were involved in the ministry as well, in Vision Forum. My father and I attended several Vision Forum father-daughter retreats. We sat under the stay-at-home daughterhood teaching. But my dad was always more balanced in his mindset. He always fully supported me in my desire to stay at home until I married, which I did end up doing, but he didn't enforce it. He never said college was evil, which is very common in that movement. He never said that having a job outside the home as a woman was evil, even though that is very common in that movement as well. He remained more balanced. Now, as for where this this movement came from, if you will, it truly is an overreaction to third wave feminism, to the impact that feminism has had on the church. It is a, a gut reaction, an overreaction to the impact of secular feminism. And, and I don't mean feminism as a whole. I don't mean the women's rights movement as a whole. I don't mean the suffragettes. I don't mean any of that. I mean, it was a reaction against third wave feminism, feminism that was taken captive by the sexual revolution and began to encompass a hatred for men, a 
desire to not only be equal to men, but to almost be seen as superior to men. A movement that wanted to belittle men and disrespect them, a movement that disdained the institution of marriage, that disdained homemaking and childbearing and child rearing, a movement that really was not at all God's design either. The stay-at-home daughterhood movement is but an offshoot of the movement of patriarchy, which through my research and having been involved in a ministry that taught Christian patriarchy, I see that the stay-at-home daughterhood movement was something that was started in order to safeguard Christian women in a desire to insulate them against the um, influence of third-wave secular feminism. Now, anytime, though, that we have a gut reaction and we begin an entire movement in reaction to something else, we're in dangerous territory. Because oftentimes what happens is it's not that we sit back and we say, okay, this is wrong. This teaching, this movement is wrong. I will see what the Bible says. We begin to look through our own lens, our own viewpoint, and we we operate out of fear. We think not what does the balanced word of God say, but rather what can I do to get us far on this side away from feminism as I possibly can? What can I do to ensure that I'm never inspired or influenced by feminism? And so really, um, that is what the stay-at-home daughterhood movement sought to do. Now, one of the cardinal passages that is used um, in reference to this movement is Numbers 30, Numbers chapter 30. And in that chapter, we see this aspect of the law of God and the Old Testament law given to Israel, where a woman um, is, if she, if she vows a vow, okay, and her husband hears it, and he says, oh, that vow, that's, that's not good for you. That was not wise. He can release her from that vow. The same goes for a daughter at home under her, her, her husband, under her father, excuse me. If she vows a vow to the Lord, her father hears it and says, oh, that's not a good idea. That was hasty, unwise, what have you then he can step in and negate that vow and release his daughter from that. But then the passage says, but a widowed or unmarried woman, a, 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 I don't know if it says divorce, but a widowed, unmarried woman, it may also say divorced, um, has to basically uphold her own vows. She doesn't have anyone to free her from potentially dangerous vows that she has vowed. She has to fulfill those. Now, that passage is used to say that, okay, here's this picture. A daughter is either at home under her father's protection or she is married under the protection of her husband or else you have these lone wolves, these women to be pitied, these unmarried, divorced, widowed women who have no protection. And people take that to be law because it was part of the Old Testament law, but what is not understood is our relationship to the Old Testament law as New Testament believers. And the fact that not only are we not beholden to all of those ceremonial, sacrificial, um, all of those laws today, 
that passage wasn't even really talking about whether or not you can live away from your father and be unmarried. It didn't even talk about that because the thing is, it's not that patriarchy is the teaching of the Bible. It's that patriarchy is the backdrop against which the Bible is portrayed. In other words, patriarchy was the teaching of the day. It was the cultural norm, but it was not what God designed, right? And so we see these teachings about women and the stay-at-home daughterhood movement took them to then be law for all times, all places, all cultures to where when I was smack dab in the middle of the stay-at-home daughterhood movement and at the age of 15, so if you're doing the math, a year after finding out about this movement, I was blogging and writing weekly about stay-at-home daughterhood. I had plans to write and publish a book, hopefully with, through Vision Forum, <laughs> entitled Stay-at-home daughterhood defined, defended, and delighted in, in which I would, in the first part of the book, I was going to define what stay-at-home daughterhood was. In the second part, I was going to defend it with scripture. And in the third part, I was going to share how you could delight in it and what you could do as a stay-at-home daughter. And in that season, I was of the belief that to go to college was sinful, to um, pursue any kind of job outside the home was sinful to uh, be outside the home really was sinful. And that is the depth of which this mo- the movement does go to. Now, while I was blessed to have parents who were far more balanced, I had far more freedom except for what I restricted my own self from with this self-inflicted legalism There are so many women and girls, because it continues to this day, but there are so many women who were raised in the height of the stay-at-home daughterhood movement when ministries like Vision Forum were still around. There are other movements and other ministries um, around to this day that still teach it. But in the the heyday, if you will, of the stay-at-home daughterhood movement, I would say the 90s, early 2000s, up to about 2013, give or take, There were so many girls and young women who are now grown women today who were victims of abuse, neglect, um, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, just so many wrong things because it stemmed from a wrong view of women. It stemmed from a view of women as being just those who do the dishes, who cook the meals, who, who bear the babies. Each of those roles and responsibilities is beautiful and important. They are important. They're not mundane in light of eternity. So you'll never hear me say that. But those were not the only things for which women were created, right? There are women who are given the gift of singleness, women who God never gives children to, women who um, have a different calling and role in their life. And what stay-at-home daughterhood and similar movements do is really restrict women from the freedom God has for them from the unique callings that he has for each individual woman. And so really, that is part of the danger of the movement. It really is. 